Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters with Matt and Matt. I'm Matt. I'm Matt too. So, we have big news today. We sure do. I'll go ahead, drop that news. So there's... Drop it like it's hot. Actual public hearings going to be happening. We are starting the session. Things are happening. It's getting exciting in Augusta. This is my hands going together. All kinds of excited. I think the most I need a hobby. That, well, you clearly need a hobby, I would say, with that one. I think the most important part, if you listen to our last podcast, which we talked about the titles. We did. We actually have language now. That, I, I, I gotta be honest about something. I was looking, I have I have their, their committee page bookmarked mm-hmm. yeah. so I can just get to it whenever I want to see it. Sure. And when I opened up that little drop-down menu to see about legislation and saw, <gasps> There's there, stuff. There's actual stuff there. I got legitimately happy and excited. And that concerned me for many reasons. But I'm also like, this is really good stuff. We get to actually we get to talk about stuff that's coming up now. And there's real important changes that could be happening to the state as a result of some of these bills. So let's get to it. Let's get into it. Okay. So the first uh, public hearings start on Wednesday, January 30th. Coming right up now. Yeah, coming right up. So the first, we're going to run through these uh, in order according to the notices. So we have seven uh, legislative documents to go through today. Right. So they're going to do hearings over two days, correct? This uh, all we've got scheduled is a morning and an afternoon so far. Oh, a morning for all and an seven afternoon. Of these, uh, which isn't that bad once you hear about them a little today. A couple are resolves, so they're. We'll be talking for approximately 25 seconds for each one of these. Well, what's the difference between an act and a result? So an act is actual bill language, actual law language that they're trying to change or insert or delete, whereas a resolve is more, we're going to do this. Like a, like a promissory note? Like a, like a you, you raise your right, you shake on it, like I'm an honorable person, I give you my word kind of thing? That is more of it, yeah. Okay. You clearly went down from promissory note to... I know. Take my word for it. It's more <laughs> it's, of the take my word for it. Take my word. It's, it's not yeah. notarized. <laughs> it is. Uh, probably, but yeah. May, but, it, but let's it, go with no. Okay. It's it's resolved. So it turns out that. Or not unresolved. The first bill. <laughs> Thank you. That we're going to talk about today. That was a slow burn. It's probably the biggest one. Uh, this this one is huge. Uh, uh, LD, oh, what is it? Sorry. It's LD14. LD14. Thank you. Uh, an act to improve science and engineering education for Maine's students. This bill right here is going to change the landscape of science and engineering standards in the state of Maine. Okay, so let's go over what it actually does sure. first. So uh, I'm going to talk about the summary real quick. Okay. And you have a lot to say about this one too. And I'm I just going to kind of little talk about this one. So the summary uh, requires, uh, this bill requires the DOE to include the so-called next generation science standards for K-12 in the state systems of learning results and assessment and directs the commissioner to amend DOE rules on or before December 31st, 2019 in order to include the science standards as part of the state system of learning results and assessment beginning with the 2021-22 school year. That is a very ambitious timeline. Because if you so really, let's talk about why. If you, if because the next generation science standards, or as they say, the so-called next generation science standards, are a very different look at how we do academic standards. Um, you have your, you know, your typical like traditional learning results, which are based on language like demonstrate understanding of, blah 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 blah, and then we have the next iteration of those, which were basically the, things like the Common Core math ELA standards, which actually had 
um, cognitive demand language in that, like apply or compare and contrast, instead of just these vague demonstrate understanding of, well, the next generation science standards takes it to another level. It not only looks at science through the level of a performance expectation, but it goes beyond that into what's called a more three-dimensional approach. So you have your performance expectation, your, your, your end goal for that particular target or so. And within that, you have these things called cross-cutting concepts. You have a disciplinary core idea, which is the bigger main topic. Um, and you also have these science and engineering practices, these ways in which you go about doing the, the science. Okay. And so all of these things combined make up the next generation science standards. And each one of those areas is also connected to the English language arts and math standards as well in common core standards. So which are our main standards. So they're all, they're all their easy integration. It took common core to the next step up for that level of integration and three dimensional look at academics. This sounds like a big thing. It is very big because it changes how we teach and look at and do science in the in this in the schools. It's no longer just about well, I'm gonna you know dissect a frog. There's there's way more to it. Just like it was when we started to change the standards from the old main learning results to the new Common Core Math, Common Core ELA, because mm -hmm. it required more in depth look at to like math, how to construct and deconstruct okay. things. So I think it's I think it's pretty obvious that. We like them. I, I'm a big fan and big proponent of the next generation science standards. Yeah. I'm not a science guy myself. Yeah, I, I was not very, I never really, I, I, I liked it, but I wasn't very good at it in school. Um, but this, it, these, these standards are developed and designed by the National Science Teachers Association or Federation, I forget, it's Federation. And they're just, they're very well done. They're very well written. They're very clear. There's a clear trajectory from physical science, earth and space science, life science, and the practices. Um, so they're just, they're just better, mainly. They're just they're better. better. And if yeah. you look at the language of our main learning result standards, it, it's all the demonstrate understanding of. Sure. And that language just doesn't do it. It's not clear. So what, other than, other than adopting those, this also puts it as part of the state assessment strategy. This is where I have a problem. In all the grade levels. Right. Right, just like they do with math and ELA right now, science becomes another grade level one from three to eight. Yes, so we have we have the uh, Empower assessment for ELA and math, you yeah. know, from grades three through eight, and the SAT at grade eleven. We also have the MEA science assessment, which is grade five, eight, and eleven. This would make science from three to eight and eleven, as well. Mm -hmm. However, the MEA as it's currently written wouldn't work. Right. It would have to be a new assessment. It'd have to be a completely new yep. assessment. Yep. Which is one of the reasons why I say this timeline is very ambitious. Mm -hmm. Because um, it says this is all going to be done in the 2021-22 school year. That's that's two years away. That is that is very ambitious to, pushing it. to completely change over how we do science in this particular district, as uh, a state, as well as assess it. That's 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 pushing it for time. Now you can say we're going to start the assessment at that point and then start collecting data, mm -hmm. but I don't, this is not something we want to rush. So one of the things that they may do with this one is, well, what do you, what do you think? Well, so I'm thinking one one of the things that I've seen in the past is here, here's, they, they delay a little bit. Yeah, here's they the, like the language, but or they'll they'll take the assessment language out and they'll they might put it in, in again later. A different year. Right. right. Yep. The real issue with the state assessment, and if they want to go with measuring science, 
on a more systematic scale, great. Yeah, sure. I'm actually all for that. I That's just fine. want it to be careful and I want it to be meticulous. Yep. The issue that I have with it is by putting it in the state assessment system, it then can easily, and it is in the in the statute or in the act here, it can easily get it connected to our PEPG connections mm-hmm. to these assess systems. And I don't know if we want a brand new assessment like this to be tied to educator effectiveness ratings. This is one of the things that I think could cause a major problem with this bill because it's all already tying ELA and math scores to educator effectiveness is already an issue. Um, it says here um, that to get your, there'll be a, an effectiveness rating based on the, the, the science performance. The rating must be based on standards of professional practice and measures of educator effectiveness. So if you're a Marzano model or if you're a Danielson model or if you're an task model, whatever it is. The proportionate weight of the standards and measures must be a local decision, but measurements of student learning and growth must be a significant factor in the determination of rating of an educator. This is all language that's already in there, in, in this particular bill, mm-hmm. this law. What's added now is just science. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just I just don't know if, if, that, if this issue right there is going to help the cause or hurt the cause. Well, we do have a bill coming up later that talks about teacher evaluation also. Ooh. So maybe these will tie it's together. foreshadowing. <laughs> okay, what else you got about the science one? Well, that's really it. I mean, I, I'm a big fan. Of, yeah, just throw it down. Just, we're, 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 we're moving on. It's, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Of, I think this is a good step in terms of adjusting our standards and moving forward and getting the absolute best goals for our students and for our learners across the state. Um, it is going to require some serious professional learning for a lot of districts, and I hope the state is going to be able to think about how to uh, support that. But I will say this is a good step forward, and I would just say tread cautiously when it comes to state, when it comes to the state assessment, when it comes to educator effectiveness and connecting those things, because those are very delicate tiles or steps to walk. So tread cautiously is what I just heard. Yes, that's my advice. Let's go to the next one. We'll, we'll talk more about that later as it comes through, I'm sure. We'll go ahead. Wait. What do you got? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, to be determined. Yeah, we'll see. We don't know. So LD97, this one is a resolve regarding legislative review of portions of Chapter 38, Suicide Awareness and Prevention in Maine Public Schools, a major substantive rule of the Department of Education. This is an emergency. Is this is an emergency one. So what this does is talks about... Um, Mainly, it's resolved that final adoption of portions of Chapter 38, a provisionally adopted major substantive rule of DOE that has been submitted to the legislature is authorized, and the emergency means it takes effect when approved instead of 90 days after adjournment. So once they say yes to these rules, it is immediately law. Right. So they've. So, so basically what they're saying is done we're doing this we don't have to wait till 90 days after the adjournment because it's an emergency and this stuff is needs to be done right now and this is to this is to approve the rules approve the rules but once the rules are approved it's they're in action rather than 90 days right right so suicide awareness prevention it, though i i can't imagine that will uh go through any speed bumps let's go to the next one similar That's resolved resolved next one ld 98 resolve can you like say this with, with more, like, re- resolve language, uh, feeling, oomph? All right, take one. Go for it. 
Regarding legislative review... Right, I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. Regarding legislative review of portions of Chapter 122, grant application and award procedure, fund for the efficient delivery of educational services, a major substantive rule of the DOE. Another emergency. And pretty much the same thing. Once you get the rules, it's going to be immediately in place. Yep. Let's go on to the next one. What I like about that, the title of this one in particular, is the two colons that are in it. You have, regarding legislative review portion, chapter 122, colon, grant application and award procedure, colon. So I just, I found that amusing. Well, let's talk about the last one of the morning of Wednesday, January 30th. Sure. This is one that we actually made fun of last week. We, well, yes, we did make fun of it because we didn't know Again, what it meant. titles. It was That's all titles. All so here we go. We had a lot of fun. LD103, an act to ensure the integrity of for-profit colleges. Yes, and we, we, what, what does integrity mean? That was our question. What does it mean to ensure the integrity of? What, what is that? Well, now we know what this means. And Knowing I, is half the battle. I actually like this right here. You do? I do. Go, why do you like this? Tell, tell, let's, let's talk about it and say, and say what it is that you like about it. Okay, I like it because I was looking at the old language of for-profit colleges and how they're how they're governed at the state and basically it talks about four things that terminates degree granting authority it talks about discontinuous of instruction basically if they close they can't be a for-profit college anymore what yep really a sale of stock a sale of lease of assets or a merger slash consolidation slash reorganization, they have to go through the process again. So these are all the ways in which a degree granting authority could be could be cut. Exactly. Okay. So now Oh, there's an addition. They added one. Ooh. And this is where I like it actually. It talks about uh, they talk about some definitions and they talk about some reporting. So they have to report uh, annually to the state board education a bunch of things. And here are the things. The amount of funds disaggregated by campus spent on each of the following as compared with total spending, educational instruction, advertising, and executive salaries. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. So they have to say, basically, we've got all this money. How are we spending it, especially on those three things compared to all the money you have? So they're being held accountable for how they're spending their money. Yes. Or they're at least having to report on it. Yep. Okay. Yes, more of a report. They didn't have that before. So the next part is the percentage of those who graduated in the previous calendar year, disaggregated by campus and program, who have employment in the field of study. Well, that's an interesting uh, piece of analysis to look at right there. I like that. I also like the next one. Same percentage, except just employed, which means not necessarily not in the field of study. study. So they're going to have so the so the the, the poor proper, for profit colleges, universities are going to have to go and chase down these graduates. To see what are you doing a year afterward? Yeah, not are a bad they, thing. Are they employed? Basically, because that's the point, right? You go to college, you get a job. Right. It, the point is not. And now I'm speaking directly to my own two two children that are seniors <laughs> in college. The point of graduating is to get a job afterwards. Please, both of you. <laughs> Personal side is over. <laughs> so yes, I think that's a good thing too. And there's one more piece. Okay. And I think this one is key. So, as reported to the U.S. DOE, the percent of graduates who graduated in the previous three years who received student loans, and the percentage of those who have defaulted, and the percentage of those who have whose loan balances have declined. So, are they paying off their loans? Have they defaulted? 
are they still have the same amount due? Interesting. So now you've got a lot of money talking here, which we talked about before that funding is a huge funding thing. Funding is a huge thing. Yeah. You know, student loans is a huge thing across the country. Yeah, right college now. debt is an enormous problem. So basically they're saying, okay, you go to this for-profit institution that is trying to make money off you. Now you have to report, are those kids getting jobs? Are those kids' loans being paid off? Are those kids not employed? Are those kids defaulting on their loans? Sounds like it's a means by which to hold these schools accountable for providing a degree. Absolutely. That the, the degree has to mean something. What? It should, it should have meaning and value beyond just the name of the institution. So they do have one more spot, really a couple more spots. More than that? But one is just rules, one's, one's another oh, termination part. But here's the evaluation part that gets into it also. So they have to determine some metrics to see if they're working. And the first one is if the state board finds that a for-profit college annually spends less than 50% of its total spending on instruction. Okay, that's the first part. All right. So half the money, over half the money has to go towards instruction. That just seems obvious to me, but it's a for-profit it's, it's, college. So who knows? It's, you it's could be different. spending 75% on marketing. It's very different. <laughs> go to the next one. Or mm. more than 15% of its total spending on advertising. Then they fail to meet adequate educational standards. Fail to meet adequate educational standards. That's only part A. There's also a part There's B. There's a lot in this that I like. Yeah, I do too. That's why I said I like I like we made fun of it, and here we are. I like it. I, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm, I'm, this, this actually is, I, I think this so far, what I'm hearing, would bring integrity. So here's to the, ensure integrity. Here's the B part. The state board shall determine whether for-profit college has received necessary accreditations to allow graduates to meet professional licensing or other career standards related to their educational program for which degrees or certificates are granted. If they find that they have not received these necessary accreditations, you fail to meet adequate educational standards. There's a lot of really good stuff in here that holds for-profit colleges accountable so they're not just making money off students and building up their, their loan debt while these places just go away. Right. It's not just some just some farce place where you're sending in money and then you, you say you get something, but there's no value behind it. There no. actually has to be super good. something behind it that you're, you're accredited or you have ties to certification programs or you can be nationally certified in a certain program. I think that this is... I, I think this is one of the one of the best uh, rules I've read in a long time. Yeah, so I'm very interested in seeing what the public comment is going to be for this one, if there is any. I mean, it's early, so I assume there's going to be some. Again, those are uh, about a week away at this point. The hearing is on the 30th. It's on the 30th, and that is the that ends the morning session right there. So they're going to go a couple of resolves. The act for the science standards and then the act for integrity for profit. If they do it, in the, if they do it in the same order, the science one goes first. Right. The resolve second, then the for profit colleges, and they will be turned over to the afternoon if there's still more testimony going. It just kind of rolls over. Right. Because we're about to get to the afternoon ones. Yeah, because who, who knows who's going to provide testimony? Yeah. It, it could be maybe one person. It could be a thousand people. That show up, and I've I've gone to some of these that start at nine o'clock, and are done by like nine twenty, mm -hmm. because they're just like there's nothing there, and so it rolls right to a work session at that point. Right. So, to be clear, the public comment is just the first, first part of this one, because after all the public comment comes in, if there is any, it then turns into a work session, and it becomes the legislature's responsibility at that point. 
once it's out for public comment, anybody can do anything. They can make suggestions, they can make changes, but once it goes to a work session, it is a legislative bill at that point where they can do anything. They do. They can change the entire language. The entire language, or they could just let it sit on the desk and let it die. Right. They, and everything in between. Wow. Yeah, so at that point, so speak your piece now. Yeah, that's the chance you have. Speak your piece that's now. The let, you have. And I know that the, the folks in the Ed Committee, they want to hear from, from people, either in written format, they actually prefer it in person if you can do it or have someone do it on your behalf. Please do. Please. By the, by the way, these are Wednesday, January 30th at 9 o'clock, those four in the Cross Building in Augusta in room 208. That is a new room for the Education Committee this year. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. I haven't seen it yet. I, ha- I haven't either, there. actually. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm very excited. I hope there's not a pillar in the way. I'm planning on being there to provide some testimony for, for our district and whatnot on that morning for the science standards. So if you see me, say hi. Say, hey, podcast fan, I'll, I'll get a selfie with you. We'll post it to our Facebook page. <laughs> I've, Lots of jokes there. I'm just going to skip. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> yes. There, but there, definitely. Definitely there, come say hi. Yeah. There yes. are a few of you out there who know what I'm talking about. Yes, exactly. Very few, I'd say. <laughs> but definitely As come I say hi. As I snarf my coffee. Definitely come say hi. Okay, so we're into the afternoon now. Yes. Uh, these are Wednesday the 30th at 1 o'clock after a lunch break. Uh, the first one is... Do they go down to the cafe for lunch? Uh, they do. They nice do. little cafe down there. It's really nice. Yeah, get some. there's some really good stuff there. There's some good stuff down there. Yeah. Good coffee. I was say we're so we're gonna go start with LD twenty nine. I get distracted. Resolve another resolve to implement the recommendations of the task force to address the opioid crisis in the state by establishing a work group to develop educational programming for prevention of substance abuse and substance abuse substance use disorders among youth and adolescents. God, that's one's long. That's that that's a that's a mouthful. But as as everyone knows, the, the there's a huge opioid crisis in across the country, in our state in particular too. Um, and what this does is, according to the summary, um, it re- requires the DOE to establish a work group to evaluate the existing substance use prevention programs that are targeting school age children, to investigate prevention programs that have proven effective in other areas of the U.S. or in other countries, identify funding resources, and determine how prevention programs should be incorporated into the education curricula, and it should be represented by a bunch of different people, educators, law enforcement, public health. And what this is really going to do is to say, to figure out a way for these schools to do more intentional work on teaching about substance abuse. Exactly. So this comes out of a task force to address the opioid crisis, which submitted its report to the legislature in December of 2017. So this is basically just doing that yeah so which is great this is this is a great step this is this is literally bureaucracy in action because you have a resolve or you have a record you have a task force to address something it goes to the committee and it goes to the legislator to say now that the task force has recommended this now we're going to work on creating recommendations it takes a while to get this process done but this is the next step in getting something done really meaningfully across the state and not just you know buckshot or who knows how it gets done Buckshot. Buckshot. So let's talk to what our next one is. LD55, an act to return the normal cost of teacher retirement to the state. So let's look through the changes for this one. And it's all just, this is repealed, this is amended to read, this is repealed. So I'm like, okay, let's go to the summary. This bill changes the method for funding teacher retirement costs. 
It repeals those provisions of law enacted pursuant to Public Law 2013, Chapter 368, that require school administrative units and private schools to pay for teacher retirement. This is very quietly, this is, it's, it's not a sexy bill. No. It's not flashy at all. No. But this is really important. Yes. This is a big one. Yeah, this one is going to be talked about quite a bit. It, it, it is, and this this has major implications because for those of you who don't know, the the uh, the rules for st- for retirement, the funding is now has been pushed from from the state, which it was originally, onto the local districts, the local school districts, and some school districts can easily pay for this, although they would probably argue they can't. Mm-hmm. And other districts have a real, real, real struggle because they're in a very small or very rural, very impoverished area. This says nope. It's back on the state. The state is responsible for managing that, handling that, and distributing it. This just puts it back. Puts it back at the state just, level. Just. Just. Yeah. Yeah. Simple, simple algorithm, which we, I'm sure they're great at. They do, they do it wonderfully with their algorithms. So that was going to be, even though N's pretty short, there's a lot going on. There's there. a lot going on there. All right, let's go to our last one. And our last one, as we alluded to earlier, this is LD92, an act to amend teacher evaluation requirements. Buckle up. So there's a lot going on here. This yeah, is, there is. Uh, presented and co-sponsored by a couple of education committee members, uh, which is cool. It I is. Like, and I like it when that happens. And it was, it was, it was presented by Representative McRae at Fort Fairfield. And if I remember correctly, he was a former teacher. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just so, recently. Just recently. So he knows what he, he's in his second term. After yeah. retiring. And so, so. he so he's been he's been in the system when it went through the change of to the new PEPG uh, educator effectiveness rules. Exactly. He was in the schools when that happened. Okay. So this one has some deletions, has some additions. So basically what this does, if I'm reading this correctly, is right now in teacher effectiveness you have to have growth measures or state assessment results. Or uh, you, the use of student learning and growth measures or state assessment results is required. This, yeah, the state assessment must be part of the PEPG. This makes it optional. This makes it completely optional. And up to the local school administration. Makes it a units. local decision whether yep. or not they want to use it. Period. They still have to do student growth. They still have to measure and show how growth is happening. And there are ways in which to do that. But instead of the mandate of using the state assessment data, the empower data, mm-hmm. the uh, SAT, and let's remind folks that the Empower is grades 3 through 8, and the SAT is grade 11. So this assessment data is is also effective for only teachers grades 3 through 8 and grade 11. Grades 9, 10, 12, pre-K, K, 1, and 2, they're not impacted by this at all because they don't have any state assessment data attached to them unless the school there's an asterisk here unless the school does a thing called a collective measure but i'm not going to go down that road we did that in some previous podcasts about pepg which stand on their own and this is where i sit back the great three-part series the great three-part series which everyone loves which and we love to just trash (laughs) we do and we're the ones who did this. We to did our, it to ourselves. To ourselves. Yes. <laughs> so this one is this one's very interesting. I am sure this will get a lot of comments. Um, this will get a lot of comments, and I, I can which own, is good. I, I I cannot see. I have a hard time seeing this going through, because really? because because of the way in which the like, it, it, it further just de, de, uh, 
decreases the impact or the, the effectiveness, or not the effectiveness, the weight of the statewide assessment. If, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not sure if I see it that way, to I, be honest. I, I, I'm not saying I don't want that. Um, yeah, I would, I would love okay for this to be optional. I, I think that more things like this should be optional. I've, I have a whole thing about how to do assessment as an optional thing, but we can go into that at a different time or at a different podcast or just when you come to see me outside of Room 208 on Wednesday, January 30th to provide testimony. Um, but the – I just – it's going to be hard, I think, for folks, for the Education Committee and for DOE to stand there and say – the state assessment is now not even weighted towards teachers' professional practice. I think that teachers, I think educators, I think will say it shouldn't be there. This assessment doesn't mean much of anything. It doesn't have any impact on us. Things with this is presented and co-sponsored by three members total of the education committee I know. already. I, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I'm I, I very see interested what, to see what it's. I see where you're going with it. I, it's, it's 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 it would take all weight except for the school student report card, school report card weight. It would take mm -hmm. all weight and everything off of the table for that assessment, mm -hmm. which would then say to us, well, then, why aren't we doing it? Well, federal requirements still. we we, we got to put our kids through that those many hours of assessment just because of a federal requirement. Oh, and remember, we might do the uh, add the science to all the grades, too. Right. Earlier. I, I'm... I, as an educator, I have my own feelings about it. But I'm just, mm -hmm. I, I just, I just don't know. I don't know what what Augusta is going to do with it. I'm, I'm interested in the conversation. I'm interested in the conversation have. too, and I'd be interested to hear what the uh, education committee and folks have to say about this and why they want to go down this road. So about the testimony that we do or that we listen to, depending on what you're going to do, uh, I'm always interested in seeing what the legislators ask for questions, mm -hmm. if they ask questions. Some do and some don't. Uh, they're not required to, obviously. The work session is where the real work gets done. They talk to themselves, basically, in a public public fashion. Right. But now, can, can people just go to work sessions, yep. though? And can, do, will, do they ask questions of people in the audience? They can. They can, but, it's just but a, not usually. It's just usually observe you, only. Usually when you uh, testify, you say, if possible, you say that you are available for the work, work session if needed, and then you show up, so you're there and they can ask you questions. And it's very informal at that point. So you don't really, you, you got up to the microphone, but it's not like you're testifying off a sheet sure. at that point. You're just answering questions to help them clarify. Got so it. yes, you can go. You can observe all the work. Honestly, a lot of the work gets done in the back rooms uh, when they go out for breaks and stuff and they come back and suddenly the entire <laughs> law has changed. That may or may not have happened in April. <laughs> what? But that's, with, with which that's law? That's how work does, though. With that's, which one? Uh, I blocked it, I think. So this we did is some podcasts on 1666. Go back and listen to those. Nice, great 28-part series we did on those, an hour each. So this is our first one that we actually get to talk about language. Yeah. So I think what we are going to do uh, from now on is have a lot more regular sessions. Um, weekly, when we get these legislative notices to telling what the public hearings are coming out, and if I were you, listener, since you're listening to this, you must be interested or why have you waited 31 minutes into this to figure out, eh, I don't really like these guys. Then you sign up for the emails where you get notices for these, when they happen, what the bills are, and then you can go right to the links of what the actual language is like we did. And we'll probably, we can put those links right on our Facebook page so that people can just know where, to, know where to find them, can click them, and then get set up and just get that automatic emails right to your right to your inbox. Right we, 
to your inbox. Because everyone needs more emails. That's one thing that everyone needs. I think we're pretty close to done here. Think so? I don't know. We could go back over them again. We could probably talk about them again. We'll do that offline. All right. Bye.